Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the A4G podcast. This is Riley Rose Frazee, and today we have a special guest with us. It is my privilege and honor to be talking to my very first developer. Him and his team have been working on a game for a while now called Collapsis. He has been at GA Conf, and I am pleased to welcome to the A4G podcast, the creative director of Wraith Games, Jay Kidd. Jay, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Yourself? Oh, not too bad at all. Just wish it would stop raining once in a while, but other than that. (laughs) I know that feeling. Jeez. Got flood warnings. Dark sky's been blowing me up all morning. Flood warning, flood warning. I'm like, seriously. I I think we've had a flood warning for about a week now. It's, it's, uh, It's not okay. Yeah, it's bad. I mean, last night, oh my gosh, my my dad went up to get my brother because he got stranded up in near Lima. Uh, the water was nearly up over his bumper. My oh, no. And his four-wheel drive pickup truck. So, yeah, it was oh. bad. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's it's been hideous. It's ugh, It's got to stop. I mean, the farmers are going <laughs> to have a heck of a time getting in their fields, for God's sake. I mean, come on. Yeah. No, I, and that's the thing is the rain's just going to get worse, too. Like, that's that's the worst part. Yeah, it's bad. So what is Collapsus, basically? What would you like to tell us about that? So Collapsus, um, you know, it's kind of avoiding, you know, like a marketing pitch here. The best way to think about Collapsus is kind of reverse Tetris. So, So fundamentally in Tetris, what you're doing is you have this blank space and you're adding things to it. It's a very additive game. Yeah. Now you're also rotating all of these blocks all around, right? Uh-huh. With Collapsus, you are taking away things. You're you're removing blocks permanently. Um, you know, you, you get all these like swappy games and everything, you know, mm-hmm. like the candy crushes and stuff. And you're swapping stuff around. That's not really how Collapsus works. Um, and it, it's kind of actually sad that I have to, just because it's a puzzle game, kind of put it through the lens of Candy Crush, but that's that's another topic. Um, but you are, uh, you're removing things permanently and you have this resource meter that's going down. Well, unlike Tetris, you know, like it, it's not just that additive, subtractive dynamic. You're also rotating the screen. You're rotating the play field in Collapsus, whereas you're rotating blocks in uh, in Tetris. And so that's sort of, that's why I, I like to say it's kind of a kind of a reverse Tetris. Gotcha. Okay. Sounds like fun. And you know how Tetris was. Tetris is... <laughs> Everybody's saying, I wanted accessible Tetris. We were talking about this the other day. We wanted accessible Tetris. I'm like, ooh. It's, it's hard as it is. Imagine it being accessible. That'd be real fun. We'd have a heyday for that. <laughs> So how did Wraith Games get started in this? So uh, we actually got started all the way back in 2005. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. For about six months there, we were calling ourselves Mind's Eye Games. Mm-hmm. Funnily enough, there's actually a studio now called Mind's Eye Games, and Google loves to lump us in together. Like every once in a while, you'll, you'll look on our, our page, and it's like, oh, Wraith Games developed this game. And it's like, no, it's the new guys, Mind's Eye Games. Um, mm-hmm. But... Uh, we were actually just a group of high schoolers. It was it was basically me and a couple friends at the time, and we had this this kind of combined passion for for games. And we were like, oh no no, we can we can make games. We can break into this industry. 
Um, and we had absolutely no clue what we were doing. And of course, at the time, uh, Mind's Eye Games, uh, it, it, it occurred to us just how uh, uncool <laughs> that name was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so we were playing a lot of D&D. And one of my favorite monsters in the old uh, 3.0 monster manuals, the Wraith. I'm like, well, what if we were Wraith games? And which, which is also incredibly dorky in its own right. <laughs> um, but we're, we're, we're big dorks over here. So. There you go. <laughs> we, le- we lean into it. <laughs> so um, from there, we became Wraith games and um, started uh, tinkering with what we called the 50 terrible prototypes which was just a bunch of really small experimental games that were pushed out at like game jam speed. Like we were making a new game like every week and every single one of them was just terrible. It was just absolutely awful. And that was, uh, that, that was kind of the pre YouTube age, you know, YouTube had not yet been bought by Google. It was still a, it was still a startup. And so there was no real way to, sort of present those in a, in a video format. You didn't have platforms like itch.io. Um, you know, uh, I'm not even, I, I think steam was probably around, but it wasn't, it wasn't around in the same way it is, you know, nowadays. Yeah. Um, what we did was we, we had a geo Cities site. Um, hopefully, hopefully your audience isn't too young to remember geo cities. Um, yeah. but it was a, it was a free, uh, web tool that you could use to to make your own websites back when that was was very difficult to do, and so we released all these um, these awful awful games on uh, on GeoCities. But after after a point, we just started making games that weren't terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm gonna let you go ahead and explain. Anything else you'd like to tell us about the company, what you're hoping to do with the game and some goals, things like that? Okay. Um, So over here at Wraith, uh, there are 12 of us and then a couple of interns. And uh, we are all artist-driven. So, like... Even even our programmers were, were considering artists in this. Though, uh, for the record, we we were founded by artists first. Um, I have an arts background. Uh, Lance and Steve have arts backgrounds. Um, and so, the thing is that we are entirely flat management, which means that we don't have like middle management. You know, like obviously there are people who are going to have to make some sort of high end business decisions, but we have a board for that, and that's democratically voted on. Um, we also have this. Um, uh, this system of pitch meetings. So anytime we're going to do anything, we, we sort of bring it up at a meeting. We have pitch meetings and traffic meetings. And so basically everyone in the company uh, is kind of a boss at the company. And on top of that, uh, we uh, are in, employee owned as well. So everyone has a stake here in the studio. Um, and we're also, instead of a 40 hour work week, we're 24 hour work week. So, so it's nearly half the time that a traditional um, studio would have. And that's mostly to prevent things like burnout. Um, we're also crunchless. Oops, sorry. You're good. Oh. <laughs> uh, we're also a crunchless studio. So we make sure that we don't, we don't ever crunch on projects. Um, unlimited PTO. Um, we allow people to work from home as long as their, their projects are getting done. Um, we're, we're very much uh, kind of like an artist's collective 
you know, more so than a traditional game studio. And some of the some of the reasons uh, that that is that's a thing is not only because we're we're founded by artists or we're, we're driven by artists, but also because um, the the vast majority of us here are disabled individuals. Um, I myself uh, am not what you would call neurotypical in the least. I have um, I have Asperger syndrome, obsessive compulsive disorder, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Um, a boatload of of other uh, sympathetic uh, uh, sympathetic conditions that go along with those other conditions, um, and same same is true for for a lot of us. You know, maybe not to to that extent, but the traditional game studio model um, is not conducive to the reduction of stress. We'll say that. Um, there's this this kind of idea that stress is the most powerful motivator at your disposal, rather than oh, I want to come in here and I want to I want to create a great work. I want to I want to do something for the community. And that's that's kind of this 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 old mentality that people get into is oh no I have if I'm not crunching then I'm not doing my best and it creates an unhealthy environment. Um, so what we did was we tried to come up with a way that was going to make us more productive. And it, it, it works for, for neurotypical people as well. You know, uh, there's studies showing that um, reduction of hours actually makes more productive uh, workers. Mm-hmm. But for us, it was, it was be- very much based off of, of, of our needs as, as people rather than, you know, our needs as workers. Yep. Now, uh, as far as collapses is concerned itself, we actually, um, we've strived to make it as accessible as possible. Um, and that's, that's, I would say in our, in our top three goals with the game. And I think that it, it goes, it goes hand in hand. We want it to be as accessible as possible. We want it to, to play as cleanly as possible. And we want it to be in every pocket in America, basically. And I know that's kind of a, kind of a broad goal but i but they they work hand in hand um making it as as fun and as, as clean of an experience as possible uh means making it accessible so over the past uh past few years we've been uh cramming in as many features as we could like uh we have well over 40 i think we're probably trending into 50 uh, uh individual accessibility features wow That's yeah a lot. um <laughs> Uh, I, I actually had a, had a great heart to heart with, uh, with Mark Barlett, um, from, from the Able Gamers. He's the, the, the lead at, at Able Gamers. Mm-hmm. And he always said, he's like, he's like, don't talk about features. Let it, let it speak for itself. You know, just, just talk about goals, you know? So, so what do you want to do? And that really, that really touched me. Um, so our goal with it is basically if we see a barrier to entry, like there's this, I, I think there's this like misnomer out there that accessibility equals making a game easier for people. Now, now we certainly have like easy modes and things like that, Yeah, but that's, that's not how we see it over here. Exactly. We see it as like making making a, a ramp 
You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if you if you want people to get into your store and you have stairs and stairs are an insurmountable uh, egress, you build a ramp, right? Exactly. And, and if you are building a game and you're like, oh, wow, colorblind people literally can't see our graphics. What do you do? You make it where they can choose colorblind options or you make it even better where they can choose their own custom color palettes in addition to having pre-selected palettes. Mm-hmm. That is creating a ramp so that people can just access. It's, it's right in the name. I, I, think it's, I think it's really funny that so many, so many other devs struggle with this. You're just creating, you're just creating a ramp. Yeah. And, and once you have created that ramp, you want it to be as close to the core experience as you can get like like with that ramp in place so it's exactly. the same it's the same game for everyone but they can now just access that experience better and and having as many options as possible when you start thinking of of them as as bugs basically that's how we that's how we approach it we think like oh uh, X, X group of people can't see these graphics. Well, that's a bug. That is, that's a software bug. We, what, what solution do we have to implement to fix that software bug? And that's the thing. And it's, it's, uh, it's, less, it's less solutions oriented and more, and more like uh, problem solving oriented, I guess. Exactly. And that's exactly how I came up. Because I changed my name and my friend's like, Riley, your name looks so professional now. What did you do? So but this used to be such a friendly little, you know, because it used to be at Riley Rose Tech and everybody's like, you know, they thought it, it was just an easy thing to, oh, it's just a friendly little Twitter account. Well, then when I switched in March 20th, believe it or not, cannot believe it's been three months to the day. And congrats. <laughs> I, thank you. Three months to the day today, guys, was when I released the announcement of being a game accessibility advocate. And I switched it over when I started the podcast to accessibility for gamers. And then I thought, hmm, how can I change it? Because I knew I couldn't use accessibility for gamers as the Twitter handle because it wasn't going to fit. And then I came up with access for gamers. Basically, where we want access. That's exactly what Jay's talking about. We want access to be able to play a lot of games that we can't play right now. That's what we want. That's what we're striving for as a group. And that's how I came up with that. And he's like, it seems so formal now. <laughs> like, you can still talk to me, dude. It's not like I'm going to bite. <laughs> I mean, he, just, he really thought it was, in, you know, at first it was just informal. And now it makes him a little, I don't, I don't know if it makes him nervous to talk to me on Twitter now. But he's like, you just seem so personable. And I'm like, I'm still the same person, dude. I just have a more professional look on my Twitter account. That's an admirable goal, especially because um, at this point, um, there's this large push to make uh, to make accessibility, I, I guess, I guess, seem more official, seem more like it's a it's a, a movement that needs to be taken seriously. And yeah. for for the longest time, uh, there were there were some advocacy groups out there who were like, oh no, of course we're we're very you know. Uh, sort of posh and proper and everything, but the the problem with those advocacy advocacy groups, and it's not a problem with them; it's a problem with perception and marketing. Exactly, is that most most people 
even though even though the vast majority of people working in these advocacy advocacy groups are themselves disabled or have been or have someone in their lives who are disabled um the the problem is that from the outside looking in it's like oh no these aren't disabled people you know making it better for the entire community these are abled people who are you know are are doing charity for disabled people and that's rarely the case like to be honest yeah and so so showing uh more of a broad community of we are people with disabilities and we are also advocates and 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 changers and movers in this industry as well i i think that that's that's very powerful and so that that a little extra polish you know just helps push the 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 cause just just a little bit further and i i I really admire that yeah it's it's been one heck of a ride let me tell you i mean from from March to June, it's just my Twitter following has just grown so much. And I, I mean, I am just honored at all the support I've gotten. It's, it's beyond thrilling. I mean, it's, I'm beyond words at how people have just embraced me and I'm just new at this. And they're like, we got your back. I mean, they're right there. And I'm just ecstatic because it it makes me feel that I'm in this for you know, the right reasons. And it makes me feel that I have all this support and it's just starting this and then already getting you guys on within a month. I mean, that's amazing to me to get developers in on this and get other people in. It's, it's beyond exciting. It's always, it's always really uh, interesting when you, when you talk to developers, because I will admit that uh, even though the vast majority of our team are, you know, developers with disabilities, um, a lot of uh, it, it was this weird sort of disconnect because we would see a problem and it would be a barrier for entry for us to play our own games. And we would think, oh, no, 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 it's not the game's problem. That's our problem. We shouldn't have to, to sort of work around that. And and that was always that's always uh, an awful thing, too, is, you know, sort of viewing it as problems, you know, rather than seeing it as mm-hmm. as uh, insurmountable egresses but the thing is that that we're sort of conditioned to do that and i talk to other developers all the time because uh here at wraith we do a lot of of developer outreach and everything and we do a lot of consultation too for developers and so we we talk to to people and it's just like oh well you could do this to fix this problem you know what i mean and Mm -hmm. they're like oh well I mean, I could, but what would that really, really do? It's like, well, it would open up your game to a whole bunch of players who couldn't play it before. People who will pay you to play your game. You're in this to make a living off of making games. People don't see the 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 sheer number of us, you know, as a market, and it's it's just baffling. Yep. You know what I yeah. mean? Yep. I don't understand. So it's it's good to get the ball rolling, you know, with with developers, and it's good that developers are finally opening up to this idea that it's like, oh yeah, yeah no, I, I need to start caring about this community because they're their customers just like anyone else. Yep, yep, it, yes, that's true. That's very much true. And I I mean I actually have a developer that's wanting to come on here talking about a board game. 
and I think I think the tabletop space is absolutely fascinating for accessibility, um, especially because um, I've I've worked with some tabletop developers before, and um, they're like a lot of pieces are like uniform and very color dependent. It's like, well, first off, that's not going to be colorblind accessible. And then you have all these like tiny rules texts and everything. And it's like, well, if you could fix that by having an app that reads the rules to you, or, you know, just like a really good tutorial video on YouTube. Yeah. And it, it's, it's just weird because like, because the, the board game space is so analog, you know what I mean? That exactly. That, these solutions don't come easy, but I've, I've seen so many, so many people who are, who are really trying in that space. And it is, it's blowing me away. I think, I think that, that board games are going to be very different animals in, um, in the upcoming years from, oh, yeah. from a design standpoint. And he just start. I don't know if his game is out yet. I'd have to ask him on Twitter, but he, he told me, he's like, he sends me a message and he says, Hey, I want to be on there. And I asked him, I said, well, what would you like to talk about? And then he told me about his board game and I don't know if it's out yet or if he's developing it. I'm not exactly sure, but he wanted to do this. You know, he wanted to talk about a board game. I'm not sure when I'm going to have him on, but it'll probably be within the next. I'm going to probably stay around the fall because with the next couple months, I'm going to be actively trying to get a guide dog. So I could be leaving next month. I could be leaving in August. So I'm not exactly sure when, but I'm hoping to be back in time for your guys' awesome event in September. Hopefully. (laughs) Hope to God, and I want to see. I want to be down there for that. My driver is all excited about that, so we're hoping to be back in time for that. So yeah, I'm probably going to have him on later in the fall, along with my other nice. friends. Price. Well, yeah. So uh, I will. I will shamelessly plug the event actually here in a second. Now that you bring it up, but I, I will say that that I hope I hope that it's something that uh, it's kind of still in development because one of the one of the best things I think is while you're still in the development process and and when you're developing for accessibility first you have all these avenues to put these these additional things in from the ground floor and it's like a lot of people think it's like oh man it's going to take so much extra time to add all of these, add all these features and to, to fix this design element or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, then, but if you start thinking from it, like from the very beginning, as we know that we are going to have these problems to solve, it doesn't add any extra development time. And um, with, with uh, board games and stuff with, with both tabletop games in general, um, there's always these production iterations where you have to like, like get like print prototypes and everything and you play those. So uh, having a, a, an accessibility first development process from the very beginning is so advantageous. And so like, like I, it sounds like that's what, that's what he's got going on. And that is, that's just awesome. I I really hope so. I I really do. Cause he's like, I want to come on and talk about my game. And I'm like, what is it? And then he told me it was a board game. I'm like, Ooh, that's new because I, I haven't had anyone like that yet. So I, that, I thought that'd be cool because I know some of some people on Twitter play board games. So I thought, oh, yeah. hey, that'd be neat to get somebody on there like that. Yeah, the board game scene, uh, like the tabletop scene in general over, I would say, probably about the past like eight or nine years um, started being like this sort of Euro game invasion. You know, it's like, oh, these are European style board games. So they're weird and quirky in like a, like a good way. And then there's just been this giant explosion of of awesome tabletop games. And like everywhere you turn now, it's just like, man, 
I need to throw uh, 60 bucks at this box of, of pieces and have an experience. And that's like, it's such a great scene now. And I, I couldn't have imagined that, you know, in high school In high school is just like oh, board games, what's going on. But like, it's, no, it's a great scene. Yeah. It's, it seems that way. And I mean, my brothers play them. They play Pathfinder. I believe it's the one they play. Oh yeah. Yeah. They are obsessed with that game and I'll just sit there and listen to them. And they're like, his friend looked at me one day and they're like, you know, one of these days we're going to drag you in. You're going to play with us. Oh boy. And, and my brother Ryan says, yeah, I'll read you the cards. I don't have a problem with that. And I was like, he's like, so we can get it accessible. He says, hopefully with you being an advocate, come on, sis. <laughs> he's like, come on, sis. You gotta, you gotta talk to them or something. Meet them people somehow. He's like, I'll read you the cards, though, and I'm thinking, and I looked at how big the, you know, stuff was. There were so much cards and stuff in there, and I'm like, man, if they made that accessible, that would be cool. Wow. That'd be a lot of cards, and heck, that box would be huge. Good lord. Yeah, Pathfinder, like, in in tabletop role-playing games in general, are almost inherently accessible. Um, because those, those cards in, in Pathfinder are, are just reminder text for, for powers and abilities. And there are all sorts of, um, uh, online resources that are, some are, some are officially driven and some are not that work perfectly with, um, with uh, text to speech where it's just like, this is what this thing is. This is what this thing does. And because so many tabletop role-playing games, Pathfinder's a, a little more difficult since there's a, there's a physical space you have to move around in with your pieces. Yeah. But for, for, for things like, like Dungeon World and, and Mouse Guard and 13th Age and even, even 5th Edition D&D, um, it's all uh, what they call theater of the mind, where it's, it's sort of you don't need pieces. And therefore, if you have a nice sort of text-to-speech um, app with a, with a uh, an online companion that can sort of read you these powers and abilities and an online dice roller, uh, especially since a lot of them also uh, have text-to-speech components in them. Um, it's a, it's, it's an almost inherently accessible hobby and it's, yep. uh, it's amazing really. And there is an actual accessible online dice roller for those who do not know. There is one called ready to roll. It's from my buddies up in Australia called blind sparrow interactive. They do, a RPG dice manager. I am pretty sure that's that's the one I was thinking of, actually. Yep, that's, yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah, they they do that. I would love to try to maybe get them on here. That'd be cool. I might have to talk. Oh, absolutely. I might have to try to see if I can, because it's going to be kind of hard because they're in Australia, but I could try to figure that out. But that would be fun to try to get them on. As long as you do your recording at night and they do it in the morning, it should be fine. Hey, that'd work because I because I do yeah. I I'm going to be doing a lot of different um, episodes behind the scenes, so this is going to be a bonus episode today. So nice. I'm going to have this one up now. Do you have a? Uh, I don't know if you're allowed to say this or not, but do you have a time frame for Collapsus when that's going to possibly come out? Uh, no, no, we do not have a time frame for Collapsus. Uh, it's actually become a running joke at conventions. Our longtime fans will always be like, so when is Collapsus coming out, Jay? And they'll ask me, like, specifically. Uh-huh. Um, because, like I said, we're, they're, we're, they're like 12 of us, and, and they'll always seek me out because they know it frustrates me. Um, so, no, we, we don't have, a, we don't have a, a launch date. And I'm, 
I am sure that our publisher uh, is just really frustrated with us. Uh, Radalika Games, um, just frustrated uh, because it's just like, oh, well, we're still doing this stuff. And it's a lot of it is like, oh, there's this cool thing that we want to do, but we have to think about its design very carefully, you know, in order to not mess with, with anything else. But. Yeah. yeah. I, can I will say what we do have a date for, uh, since you did bring it up earlier, is um, my company is working very closely with the city of Hamilton, Ohio, um, to create a Hamilton Games Festival. And that will be taking place September 20th through 22nd. Um, and so uh, if, if I have a date for anything, it's I have a date for that. So, <laughs> Well, I'll definitely be there if I'm back in time, hopefully. Because I'm definitely, because Steve's already said, Riley, you're going to that. <laughs> we are going to that, sister. We're going. He's like, your friends? He said, and he said, you know, and this is the group that actually helped me meet the IGBA. This is the exact same company that introduced me to Ig to Cincinnati, which I greatly appreciated. That was a blast. I had so much fun with that. And they're actually, um, they are helping us run the event as well. Oh, uh, yeah, what we did, um, so I've never run an event before. Um, only a couple people at the company uh, here have run events. Uh, and so what I did was I, I made friends with, um, with people from, uh, from organizations all around the Midwest. Like um, up, you have Multivarious up in Columbus, and they run GDEX, and they run a bunch of other things. And I looked at, I looked at their, um, their creative lead, uh, and I'm like, hey, Cody, uh, help me run an event. I don't know what I'm doing. And he's like, absolutely. And then I went over, I went over to Igda and I'm like, like Brandon Clayton, uh, I don't know what I'm doing. Help me run this event. I went down uh, to run jump dev in Kentucky and I'm like, Amanda, John, please, I need you. And then um, what we did with this festival is in addition to working with the city and shutting down all these streets and everything and, and bringing out special guests is um, unlike a convention where it's one big organization running everything. What I did was I, I tapped basically 12 organizations that run other events. And I said, this is what, in my opinion, your event does really well. Um, can you run a, a really small version of that one thing at this event? And that'll be a sponsored thing. So like the Indie Game Showcase presented by GDEX and the uh, Games Gallery presented by Run Jump Dev. Um, the um the the board game the board game room presented by ice and dice and um a game night and so it's it's really kind of like 12 conventions and then also all of this sort of outdoor connective space and there's all these activities outdoors and then the individual the individual little micro conventions are all indoors so it's this it's this weird hybrid sort of thing and that's why we it's, we call it a festival more than a convention because it really is kind of a Almost like a music festival, but not, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. And like I said, I'm going to definitely try to make it there. My co-host is like, man, I'm so jealous. I want to go. <laughs> He's like, I got to work. Dang it. <laughs> but my co-host, Jesse, he wanted to come to that. But I'm going to try to make it. At least one, uh, hopefully both, possibly, but at least one member of the A4G podcast will be there. Well, we'd love to have you. Um, we actually, um, I was uh, at Bagfest, um, and uh, Magfest is is really cool. Um, and while there, it uh, turns out that they have an accessibility advocate 
and accessibility manager on staff. So they have like this little accessibility department. So they have, they have some, they have the manager, they have a couple of advocates and then they have um, um, a bunch of like volunteers. And the entire point of that is um, if, if, if someone does have, have a need that would otherwise make the convention itself uh, inaccessible, they will like hook you up with a volunteer or something and make sure that like everything is, is done as best as possible. So if someone is, um, is on call through that entire convention to solve accessibility problems. And nice. then when I went to GA Conf, I finally got to meet Cherry in person. And because uh, we'd been we'd been talking back and forth on Twitter like uh, forever. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, I finally got to to meet her in person and she did this uh, this talk on uh, conventions and like, oh, by the way, your convention is inaccessible. And I just I was eating this talk up. I was taking notes uh, in the back. And I, I think she was the talk right before me. And so I'm like, I'm like frantically writing notes and everything. And I'm like, okay, cool, cool. I now know what we need to do to make this accessible. So what we've been, what we've been doing is we're going to have an accessibility branch uh, using her advice that she gave at this, at this uh, GA conf, um, but also having, having people who really know what they're doing to be able to help people who, who need it. So that's one of my, my big goals. So I'll probably actually be by that part of the booth more than I'll be anywhere else, even though I'm technically supposed to be overseeing everything. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> there you go. But yeah, I, I'm definitely going to be there. More than likely, you'll see me walking around with a dog. Because I'll be, I'll be running around with a guide dog, more than likely. If I'm Which back by then. I'm hoping to be back by then. So because usually it's mid mid month to mid month so i should be back and if i'm if i'm not cuz i know it'll be if i'm not there friday it'll be saturday sunday cuz i know it's usually sunday to fridays so i will definitely make an appearance cuz we've got that planned already he's already saying we're going <laughs> so you'll see me and my crazy friend steve he's he is something else nice and fun he is a blast he's like he is one of the biggest supporters I have besides, of course, my co-host. He, he's like, I'm along for the ride. I want to join in. I want you to meet all your friends and I want you to, you know, mingle with them and talk to them. And we got to go back to Igda some more. We got to, he goes, heck, he says, if there's a way you can visit over at race, let them tell them, heck, we'll go visit them. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah, like, we'll, wow. we'll have you anytime you want to be here. Hey, I'd gladly come over. I would just, all you'd have to do, um, I don't know if you're following him, but uh, my friend Steve Lesh, he's on Twitter. You could DM him and let him know, like, where it is or whatever. And he'd gladly bring me, just let him know a date, time, whatever. He would cool. do it. Absolutely. I'd gladly come talk to you guys. It'd be fun. Nice. But yeah, it'd be great to talk to you guys. Because I, I was, you guys were busy when I was down there the last time, but it would have been, because it was crazy. Because I went down there. And I walked in, I met Andy, met Brandon, and then I was sitting there and they did the introduction thing. Well, there were people talking through the introductions, you know, a couple guys. I stood up to talk and you could have heard a pin drop, Jay. I mean, it was like, as soon as I stood up and started mentioning accessibility, all I said was the big A word and everybody stopped. And they're like, ooh we got an advocate in the house. So they're like all quiet. It was like dead silence in the room. And I'm like, 
what happened? Where did everybody go? (laughs) I mean, it was just, it was so quiet. You could have heard a pin drop. I mean, it was just incredible. And then I had like three people come up to me that night, developers talking to me about accessibility. One of them was even talking about card games. He had a, um, some type of a Japanese folklore card game that he wanted to get made braille. And he said, how can I do that? And I said, well, my biggest thing I would say is probably contact like a blindness organization like NFB or ACB or a school for the blind. I said, maybe someone would, would be able to help you. I said, me personally, I don't know what the pictures look like. I don't have any of those embossers or anything like that. Yeah. But I said, I'm sure that you could do that. Or maybe I didn't think of the app thing at the time. I was like stunned when he asked me about Braille. I didn't think of the, you know, descriptions on the app. So when I see him again, I'll have to tell him about that. But. See, I, I have a I have a, a thing, and this was Ian Hamilton um, from from the uh, IGDA accessibility. I they have a it has a really long name, and I'm really bad at long names. Uh, but you know, you you know Ian. Uh, he's yeah. he's everywhere. Um, so I was talking to him uh, one time uh, about uh, the, they make these really cool Braille tablets. Um, and so the screen literally raises and it's, it's Braille. And I, I was talking with him and I'm like, yeah, I'd love to have collapses for, for something like that. And he's like, well, the problem with Braille is like po- uh, population speaking, very few people actually read braille and one of the reasons for this is braille is expensive to teach and it's also expensive to get it's expensive to get braille books and things and so it kind of comes down along class lines for a lot of people like if you if you aren't privileged enough to either you know be able to afford it or lucky enough to be able to find someone who who can help fund it you just don't know braille and that's why there's so few people who read it and he told me he's like always look for another solution that isn't braille yeah you you have to you have to think really really hard about um about what what you can do to make your particular uh blindness accessibility feature that doesn't use braille because at the end of the day using braille is more of a like a it it comes off as more of a marketing scheme because so few people are really able to to deal with it you need to come up with something practical and that stuck with me that like that um and this was a conversation he and i had over over twitter like like three three years ago i want to say and wow not from that point on i'm like text to speech forever i don't need to do this in braille we can text to speech um because that that is inherently something that um uh, that then is is more helpful to a lot more people, and I, yeah. So sorry, didn't mean to tangent on that. <laughs> yeah, which it's it is it is really sad that that's the case because what if God forbid all the compute power goes out and everything else, and you want to read something and you don't have the audio and everything else? I mean, that's yeah. it's it's it really is sad because that is true. Unfortunately, that is that is a sad truth, and I I was fortunate that I had. And mind you, Jay, I live in a little country town, little bitty country town. And I was fortunate to have a public school that, well, I was, I worked at, went to Shelby Hills first. And then basically they taught me Braille when I was two years old. That is awesome. Yeah. I learned it when I was two. Holy crap. That's amazing. Yeah. And it was, it was at two years old. I learned it through blue dots. Then I did it 
I started learning it with a slate and stylus. I can still use a slate and stylus. I still have one. <laughs> nice. And basically, you're typing your Braille dots backwards. You're typing from, from right to left, and you're doing it backwards. And then you flip the paper over, and you can read it. Well, I still do that because it's still a, a technique I use. Just God forbid we're out somewhere, power goes out, you don't have battery, you don't want to use all your battery on your phone. You need an uh, alternate technique. And if you don't have one, you're stuck, sadly. Exactly. There needs to be a way to make Braille, um, make the production of Braille books, make the, the teaching of Braille as well something that is more accessible to people who don't have the ability to use it uh, tr- uh, currently. And like, because it's such a, it's such a wonderful solution. Yeah. It's just a real shame that it's not more widespread. Right. Like, yes, yes. And, and here's the thing, here's what I want to do, but I have to get help to do it. I have to get a videographer. I have to get somebody to video, which I think Steve would help once I get problem is we live an hour apart. So it's kind of difficult, but, um, I want to go on YouTube and actually teach it. So nobody has to pay for it. Yeah. Yeah, I want to actually teach how to do Braille. That's one of the things. But I also want to teach assistive technology because sometimes people, and it's no, no, I'm not calling anybody out in particular, but there are times when people will try to teach voiceover to a beginner and they've got voiceover so fast. And you're like, guys, a beginner cannot understand it that fast. You got to slow it down. You know, so I'm going to slow it down, even though it's uncomfortable for me to have it that slow for a beginner who's just starting out, because there's new beginners all the time, mm-hmm. just like there's games coming out all the time. There's new Absolutely. beginners to Braille. There's new beginners to voiceover. Slow it down. Take so what would be some of the hurdles associated with, with teaching Braille over video? Because it's such a tactile experience. Well, it would be, I would basically be teaching, um, I'm not exactly sure. I mean, I've thought about it and I'm trying to figure out how I would do that because it is so visual. I don't know how my teacher did it because she could read it with her eyes and know what I was, what I put on there. No. So I don't know how she did that. That to me, I would have to figure that out. I mean, that's why I said it's, it's a possibility that I, that I can, or if there was somebody who wanted to learn it. If, if there was a way I could find a place to, to work with people, I would teach them that way. But I would do it the way I was taught it with glue dots. I would have cards made up in glue dots and teach them that way. Because that's more yeah. tactile than the regular Braille dots. Yeah. Because they're so smaller. But glue dots are a little bit thicker. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, like with with traditional Braille, I think is it's kind of like it's kind of like expert mode. After a certain point, it's just like exactly, yeah, it's it's a stepping stone. And that I think mostly has to do with like the economy of page because like Braille books are already bigger and thicker anyway. Mm-hmm. You want to try to you want to try to uh, sort of make it as small of a form factor as you can while still having it be legible, which is not ideal, which was why I was so interested in these, these Braille tablets, but it never, it, it hadn't occurred to me until Ian said like, oh no, these are, the tablets are great, but not enough people know Braille yet. And I'm like, well, crap. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it's, it really is sad because if God forbid, like I said, your power goes out and you you want to save battery and you, you don't have a backup. So you're sitting there doing nothing, twiddling your thumbs because you don't want to waste your batteries. 
And it's like, ugh. Especially if you want to read, it's like, ugh. And, I mean, some of us, and not like I said, not everybody is lucky enough to have that. I got blessed because I got help from my school. They pushed it. And, and they even pushed me, which I'm not going to get into many details here, but because that's the next, that's going to be next week's episode probably on what we do, what we like to do with it besides what we do as advocates, some of our hobbies and stuff. But my high school basically pushed the vocational school to put me in the class I wanted to take because they were saying, oh, you can't because you can't see. Baloney. That is one of my biggest pet peeves is the word can't. You can't do this. You can't do that. Why can't you? A disability is, is, is just basically something you deal with. Yeah. It's not something that says you can't do it. There are ways around things. I mean, there are things that are a challenge with a disability, but it's not something that you can say, oh, well, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's, there's ways around it somehow, some way. They tell me, oh, you're blind. You can-. They actually have told me this, seriously. You can't have a relationship. You can't have, yeah, you can't have kids. You can't have a relationship. Why? Because I can't daggone see? Really? How does that even, how does that even work? What what does that even mean? Exactly. It's it's like, really, people? I'm just like you. I just happen to not be sighted. That's it. You guys all have homes. You have businesses. You have jobs. You have relationships. Why the heck can't I? Just because I can't see them? Come on, I can hear him. Yeah. <laughs> That's I, I. There's this this kind of like this abled perception. It's just like, well, you can't do X, and it's like, but people do. People in this position already do it all the time. Yeah. Like, like yeah, and they're like, my boyfriend had the nerve to tell me this, guys, and I hope I have female listeners because I love this. And I told him this to his face. He was a man, and he goes, gamers are all men, aren't they? What the heck? No! Where's ladies out there? Where are my lady folk at? Well, so we do a lot of, um, and and we had to, a lot of work in in sort of figuring out demographics. Um, It's it's really interesting that 50% of all gamers are women. What that means is it is literally right down the middle. Half of all, half of all gamers are women. And it, it, it baffles the mind, but it's because it's uh, not to get, not to get uh, too political, but there's this, this vocal minority of, of the kind of, you know, the kind of whiny gamer men who, who, who are in the spotlight all the time and shouldn't be, to be fair, who make it worse for everyone else. Yep. Um, and that's that's who you see. You see these these uh, these quote unquote uh, neck beards. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's terrible. Like that's the thing too. Is like um, like my wife. She first off, she's actually um, uh, hard of hearing. Uh, personally, you wouldn't believe the stuff that she has heard from people about the fact that like like. Well, well, what are you going to do? You can't even hear. Like, oh, wow. that's terrible. I would have been like, hey, don't be making fun of her. <laughs> They're lucky I wasn't standing with you and her because I would have probably went off. <laughs> I'm one of these people. 
like I had a best friend. She had cerebral palsy, quadriplegic CP. And I, if I'm with one of my besties and they have a disability, I would go off on somebody. Like they would sit there and she would have her head down and she, of course, couldn't handle it. She would drool. Yeah. God bless her. She would drool really bad. And it happens. They would make fun of her. Oh my God, I don't want to touch that stuff. Guys, it's cerebral palsy. You cannot catch it. Okay, come on. You know, it's like, and and then they're like, my other friend thought it was a disease you could catch. They they were they wouldn't help her in class in the class that I was oh, in. Jesus. They would not help her, and I'd come back, and she was sitting over there by herself. And my aide says, "Hey, Riley, would you go help Stephanie? She can't do this by herself. She needs assistance. She has cerebral palsy." And I went, "Yeah." Bleep them, bleep, bleep, bleep. I said, listen here. You can't catch it. It's brain damage, you idiots. Oh, I was lit. And I I was absolutely obnoxious. And my teacher was like, whoa. Well, a few years later, her mom came up and thanked me for defending her. Nice. I met her mother like three years later at a party. She comes up, excuse me. She goes, you must be Riley, the girl that defended Stephanie. And I'm like, how is Stephanie? Well, she yelled over, Stephanie, come here. <laughs> she had no idea I was even there. And she just, when she saw me, she just broke down in tears. Wow. Yeah. And it's like, just because they have a disability doesn't mean you can catch what they have. I mean, they thought I, they were going to catch my dis- disability too. People would, I didn't, <laughs> yeah. They thought they were going to catch optic nerve hypoplasia. They didn't want to take me to prom. I actually did not go to prom with a date. Wow. My senior year I did, but it was it was actually a family member escorting me there. It was my basically a step cousin that took me because no nobody from school would give me the light of day. Not even a friendly, you know, take me out to the prom. And Jeez. well, she's got she's blind. No way. It's like taboo. <laughs> I'm like and that's, and that's part of the reason, too, I wanted to get in here and show people, you know, in this sighted world, look, disabled gamers are out there. We are just as much as love to be entertained as anyone else. I mean, one of my favorite games, once I get a uh, PC, you better believe I'm going to be playing me some Doom. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hell, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be playing Doom. I am obsessed with Bethesda games. I'm not going to lie. I've said it before. And I don't care if I get trolled because I'm just not caring anymore. But <laughs> I would I was getting trolled last week for being repetitive. Last uh, Wednesday through Friday, I was getting hammered. But anyway, I love a lot of games. Left 4 Dead is another one I want to play. I want to play Oblivion, which I won't be able to do it without, without sighted help right now. But you better believe I'm going to do it anyway. Because my friend Steve's like, I'll help you. We're going to go. We're going to go. We're going to play it. I'll help. And I want to play some of these games that, you know, my my co-host plays them. And I heard him. The first time I heard him, I was like, I thought he was a sighted person describing what's going on on the screen, just like this other guy does. His name's Matt. Mm-hmm. Matt the audio describer is what he is on Twitter and he describes video games now for a sighted person to take the time and do that that means the world to me because I can't see what some of these characters look like and he takes the time 
to describe what they look like, what they're wearing, what they're doing. Not many people would do something like that. And I, I have to give Matt a plug on here because that guy is awesome. And I just wanted him to know that how appreciative I am of this, putting him on this. I'm going to give him a plug on this podcast. I would like to even maybe get him on this podcast. But he is one fantastic guy. I would love to interview Matt because he is entertaining. He describes things so well to the point where, like, I didn't know what, for example, Eric Cartman, South Park. I didn't have a clue what that kid looked like. Mm-hmm. And Matt told me when, it was, when, he, when he was playing the Stick of Truth. He takes the time to record the game. As he's playing it, he's describing it in detail. To the that point is you awesome. Picture it. And not many people would do that. And, well, that's what happened with Jesse. He described it to the best of his ability. He was describing some, some games that were accessible. And I honestly thought he was sighted. And then I went in and looked at his channel name because it said his first name. It just said Jesse Anderson. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, cool. So I go in, and it says illegally sighted. And I'm like, what? What the heck does that mean? You know? And so I looked at it. I hit the about and read it. And he said, illegally cited is a pun for legally blind. And I'm like, what? No (laughs) way. Are you serious? And I've been a subscriber ever since. It's been, I'd say, at least two years ago, at least a little over two years ago that I've been subscribed to him. Nice. Yes. And just in the last three months, we have become such close friends already. Because it's to get him first to come on and co-host this podcast on Sunday. Mind you, this man has a full-time job weekly. You know, five, five, five days a week, that man is working to get him to come on and do this and help me out was awesome. And I just, I, I am so appreciative of what he did to take the time to help a brand new advocate out like that. That made my day him to just take the time out of his busy schedule to do that because he comes home from work he's exhausted and he still gets on and does streams he went on a stream last night and when he decided to help me out I happened to be on Mixer one day watching his videos and he said I gotta check my stream while I was chatting on his stream helping somebody understand what he's playing and stuff like that he goes oh shoot he's like there's somebody in the chat he goes oh hey Riley he's like Riley's my chat moderator. And I was like, oops. And at first I thought, oops, was that not supposed to happen? (laughs) You know, because Jesse plays these games, Jay, that are so action. It's like nonstop action. Boom, 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 boom. And trying to check the chat and play Rage 2, for example, or Doom, it's it's difficult. It's hard. So... That weekend, we started talking on Skype because that was the week, actually, that I asked him to come on the podcast that this happened. And I said, Jesse, I said, I got a question for you. I said, did that bother you? When I... No, 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 no. That was the only time that man ever interrupted what I was saying. No, no, no. He says, that doesn't bother me at all. I'm glad that you did that. He said, that helps a lot. So now every time he comes on, I do not miss a stream so I can help him. Because nice. he agreed to help me. So we basically work together on stuff like this. I kind of collab with him and help him because he helped me with the podcast. And not only that, he actually assisted me, the cover art of the podcast, 
I don't know if you got to see it when it first started, but when <laughs> it first started, it was not very accessible. The cover art, it was bad contrast. <laughs> well, Jesse went in for me and fixed it. Nice. Something I'll actually be talking about Sunday is one of the things I will be discussing in more detail because I got called out really brutally about it. And I was like, dude, I can't see the cover art. What the? So I actually had to trust Jesse with the information, the podcast information to go in and switch it, <clears throat> which he is very good person. So and not all blind people have that. You know, not everybody, not all of us have a legally blind friend that they can just <laughs> trust to do that, which I'll get into more details on Sunday. But it's like he switched it for me and then it was accessible. And then he fixed the, uh, I had the, some of the stuff uncapitalized basically. So it was all lowercase. Mm-hmm. He fixed that too. Nice. So, and then he told me, he says, I wanted to give you a little advice. And he knows how to do constructive criticism without making somebody feel like crap. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing I love about Jesse. He, I could do something wrong and he will send it to me in a kind way. Here's what you need to do. Okay. He doesn't sit there and call me out publicly and humiliate the crap out of me. You know, he will sit there and he'll, he'll sit there and he'll describe something in detail to where I understand. Whoops. Okay. Like the, the episodes, I try to capitalize everything in episodes except for certain words. And then that way it's more, you know, out there. So it's better. It looks better. <clears throat> and he knows how to do that without putting somebody down. And that's because I am not one to take constructive criticism well. And he knows how to do it without putting somebody, just slamming them into the ground. I mean, he's great that's, at it. That's a hard skill to cultivate, you know, uh, giving good criticism. So it's, it's really good that you have someone who's able to do that, yeah. you know, because – Anytime you're in a creative field, so often people, you know, they think they're they think they're being helpful, but really they're just, you know, being jerks, and it's frustrating to say the least. Yeah, it is. It's it's really bad. I mean, and this person did this right on Twitter. Well, uh, you know, this is supposed to be an accessibility podcast, but this cover art isn't, you know, accessible to somebody that's legally blind. They didn't even go in my profile to look to see that I had light perception. How am I supposed to know what's accessible for somebody legally blind? <laughs> I mean, and, you know, and, and Jesse had told me this privately before, but there was nothing I could do because, it, yeah. you know, Anchor doesn't describe to me the images. So then when that person called me out, I literally sent him a text and I, or I keep wanting to say text. I apologize. A direct message. And I said, Jesse, I've got a problem. I'm getting yelled at on Twitter here. And he sent back, well, send me the info if you don't mind me having it, and I'll run in and do it for you. So I had to trust him with the email address and password. And, the, of course, the, e- the password isn't the same as my actual email address password, and that's why I was able to do it. But not everybody, which I will repeat this on Sunday, not everybody has that type of trust with somebody. Not all of us have that legally blind friend that we can count on if we're totally blind or light perception blind. We don't always have that. Plus, another thing, we don't always have a family member around to help us if something isn't accessible. So if something isn't accessible to you, make sure you think before you tweet and say, oh, it might not have been accessible for them either. Yeah. Well, to to play a bit of devil's advocate, they're probably, you know, trying 
to to help others and just really didn't know the best way to go about it. That probably should have been something handled in a, in a PM. Yeah. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't take it too personally. I don't, I don't. Think. Yeah. It, it got taken care of pretty quickly. And like I said, that's, that's what I mean. I mean, cause mine's open. If, if there's something wrong, send, send it in a personal message. Cause then I can get it and I can get it taken care of the best way I can. If it's not accessible, I won't be able to do it very easily. I'll have to get through to the developer before I can take care of it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it was bad. It was, and they're like, everybody was like, I had like three DMs right after that. What the heck? That person don't know you. What are they, what, what are they doing? <laughs> I mean, three of my followers who are also blind sent me messages going, what the heck, Riley? What? You can't see the cover art. What? Why are they yelling at you for? Um, Honestly, guys, I don't know. I can't see it, and I didn't pick it. And they're like, we didn't think so. <laughs> but, yeah, it was, it was like they were just crazy. People were just – they. I mean, I had like four or five followers blow me up going, what happened? You can't see it either. <laughs> what? what What happened? I'm, uh, I don't know, guys. Um, yeah. Well, it's good to note that it had like a like a good resolution in the end, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, Jay, one of the big things yeah. that we do, what are you playing right now? What games are you playing? Uh, so, I, I have found that as my, my time gets taken up, you know, more with with the the development and then also the festival and I do, I do part-time game development teaching as well and then all this stuff. I don't have time to play as much as I used to. Um, though recently I have been uh, going back in and trying to master my Super Mario World speed <laughs> run. Um, I, uh, there's, a, there's a period of time, and I'm, I'm not entirely sure if this, uh, this ranking still stands, where I was the second fastest in the world at Super Mario World um, for the, I believe it's the 12 exit run. Oh, wow. <laughs> Well, I mean, it to be entirely fair, um, the non-glitch uh, speed run uh, isn't like a super competitive scene, um, just because you know one guy basically solved it, and then you know it's really hard to compete in that sort of arena. Um, but I'm I'm trying my best to um, to sort of work on that to try to hone my my speed run as, as best as possible. Yeah, and I've been doing. You get back up there again. I, I hope to. I hope to. Uh, it would be nice to. It would be nice to do like games done quick or, or something like that. Yeah. Um. But that's that's been mostly what I've been playing recently, and I'm I'm waiting desperately for Mario Maker Two to come out. Um. And so that's where a lot of my time is going to be going uh, at the end of the month. But I was going to say, I think that's in a couple of weeks. That's coming out, or next week. Yes, or a couple it is. Weeks. Yeah. I don't. Uh, I don't pre-order games. Um. But. I thought about it. I thought about pre-ordering Mario Maker 2, but I'm like, no, no, I'll wait when it comes out and it'll be fine. <laughs> um, so, yeah, yeah that's, what that's what I've been playing a lot of, is, is Mario World. So, And me, I'm still on the same stuff I've been playing, you know, Seven Little Words and stuff like that, but also found out that that um, game I was talking about last week, Invisible Dragons, it's basically an RPG kind of like un and under the same lines of crafting kingdom you're basically just creating stuff and um bringing it up to higher upgrades and stuff like that so it's basically kind of like that i was told 
because I didn't know what it exactly was. I was just told I should check it out. So I will definitely be checking that out soon and let you know how that goes because I haven't been able to do that yet. But I'm also excited because we have so much stuff coming out within the next few months. I'm going to be chat moderator a lot. I'm excited (laughs) because next month we got Wolfenstein, the young blood coming out. Yay, Bethesda. Um, anyway, got that coming out. We got, oh, dear Lord, in November. Oh, gosh. <laughs> We've got Doom Eternal coming out in November. We've got Shinmu coming out now in November. That was supposed to be August, but like I said, the developer needed more time, which we're all good with that because we want the best product possible, so that will be out in November. And we got other stuff coming out in November. November is going to be busy, busy, busy. So Riley, the chat moderator, is going to be busy, which I do not mind it at all. I love this. It's it's fun because then I have somebody to chat gaming with. It's fun because I have something to actually help someone with. I love to be able to help somebody. That's what that's why I'm doing this. And and like I said, if all the games I want to become accessible become accessible, I'm still going to be at this. I'm not going anywhere. Not at all. I'm going to stick with this in the long run. You know, this is, this is, I'm having a lot of fun with this. Heck yeah. They say it's not work if it's fun. <laughs> I, I have been in the games industry long enough to, to realize that adage is bull. Uh, I, yeah. At the, <laughs> at the same time, I'd rather be, I'd rather be working in this industry than any other industry. Yeah. Well, they say, they say this, one of the things they told me, and this was somebody who did a job interview with me years ago you know, mock job interview, they said a job is what pays the bills. A career is something you love and something you're passionate about. Yeah. If it's a, if it's a job, it's paying your bills. If it's a career, it's something you look forward to every day. It's a passion of yours. That's what he said. I've been doing this my entire adult life and I can, I can only really see myself here, you know, in this industry, running this studio with these people. So yeah, I, I understand that. Yep. And that's, that's pretty much what they said in this mock interview when I did this. It it was, it was pretty fun to do that mock interview. That was, that was fun. And for him to say that, and this is something every morning I'm up, I'm checking Twitter. What's new in accessibility today. I mean, it's on my mind day in, day out, day in, day out. And it reminds me of Whoopi Goldberg in the movie Sister Act 2. <laughs> she, told, she told Rita, she was a, uh, a young black girl, a teenage black lady. She says, here it is. If you wake up in the morning and all you think about is singing, you're a singer, girl. And my, my adage to that was, if you wake up in the morning and all you think about is accessibility, you're an advocate, girl. If you go to bed at night, and I added this, if you go to bed at night and accessibility, you know where you belong. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's how I see it. That's exactly how I see it. I completely agree. So what would you like to say to wrap us up today, Jay? Anything that you want to close us out with? Uh, well, uh, I, I have something uh, since, okay. uh, since uh, I don't really have anything particularly to plug other than please follow us on Wraith Games. What I do have to say is 
if you are a developer and you're listening to this right now and and you are you are doing something cool in accessibility or you want to be doing something cool in accessibility um reach out reach out to riley here like seriously like this this podcast this is going to be blowing up soon and i i have a, a feeling that with a, over the next like couple years that this is going to be a pillar of the accessibility community so uh that's that's how i want to end this is um i want people to follow you i want people to listen to this podcast I want people to ask you questions i want people to engage in your community that's what i want that's that's what i want to end this episode okay well thank you for that well, here's the deal. You can follow me on Twitter at Access, capital A, the number four, capital G, Gamers. You can also follow us here at the A4G podcast on Anchor. You can also find it on a lot of podcast platforms. You can find it on Breaker, Radio Public, Spotify, Google Podcasts as well. You can also, if you follow it on Anchor, you can also copy the RS feed and put it into your favorite podcast platform if you cannot um, access Anchor very well. If you are a developer and would like to be on this podcast, just please send me a message on here. You can do a voice message, send it on here. You could also send me a DM right on Twitter. I accept people that way. If it's a timely thing, I can get it out right away. If you want to be out right away, I can put it up as a bonus episode here or there. Also, I do record stuff on the side as well because the main episodes I do are Sundays. So I will do weekly recordings and post episodes if need be right away. If it's something you want out there now, let me know it's a right now thing. I can get it up as soon as possible. I am very flexible because I have nothing going on. So that is our show for today. And I will be talking to you later. And Jay, if you ever want to come back on, please let me know. Oh, absolutely. You know, if you have updates on Collapsus, the event, if you want to come on before the event, we can get you on before the event. I, I actually I would- like you to, uh, when you come to the event, I think you should uh, should uh, talk with some of our developers here and maybe do an episode uh, at the event itself. I think that'd be... I could do that. I could so do that. And hopefully... I'm not going to promise, but hopefully, if possible, if, if he can get the time to get it to come, maybe maybe we could do a live podcast together, me and my co-host. That would be awesome. That'd be if nice. If he can do it. If he can't, you'll just get me, <laughs> the crazy one. <laughs> but, yeah, I will be there for sure. We will. I will make an appearance there. And it might be a Saturday and a Sunday podcast because I will do one with Jesse. So we will make sure to get you guys up there. So I will definitely do an event one. I will make sure to put that in my calendar and it will be, you guys will see a live A4G at the gaming show. So hope you guys enjoy this podcast today. And like I said, like, and you know, follow me on Twitter, subscribe to the podcast, favorite it. If you possibly would like to come on, make sure you favorite the podcast and we will catch y'all on Sunday.